Hello and welcome to Aviation Past and Present, the Christmas edition here on Coast Texas Radio. With John Skeen and interrupted by myself, Graham Joyce, whenever I need to. Welcome, John. It's always a pleasure, Graham. I, I really enjoy working with you. It's been really good. Thank it's you. It's been an interesting year, isn't it? We've, oh. we've got through to Christmas again, despite COVID and all the other bits and pieces that have rattled our cages. I don't know where to start. We're from, you know, from the home front politics and from the bigger international issues. And, mm. and you know, I still feel upbeat about the whole thing. Yep, good. Got to, at this time of year, you've got to be upbeat. Yep. Hmm, there you go. And uh, I'm sitting looking at a, at a, a pictorial version of what we're going to talk about. And I started off with the Pahuta Kawa tree. Because I think it's just a wonderful example of, you know, it comes into blossom just for Christmas. That's right, and the colours are magnificent. Oh, stunning, and uh, I, I've never, you know, I'd never seen them until we came to New Zealand. Right. We, don't, we, we just have the old green Christmas trees, you know. <laughs> but I love it, and I thought I would just uh, start off by saying it's great to see a Pahutakawa tree this time of year. So there we are. And I've noticed as I've been driving around that some folks in Wike and I have been uh, gone to town with their... Christmas decorations for their homes, and it's one in particular was down uh, Timuana Road with a giant sized Father Christmas waving over the fence. And I just thought, well, good on them. Yeah. It's just nice to see. It's, it is indeed, yes. Mm. Now, I, for want of um, not talking about airplanes so much in this one, <laughs> I thought I would have a look around things that were happening in our area and across in the Wairapa as well for ROFM listeners. We're going to have a wee talk about something in the Wairapa coming up. Mm-hmm. And I love coastlands. I enjoy coastlands. It's just a nice place to be. It's not pressured. No. Y- you go into the bigger malls around the city yes. and there's that kind of crush of people and movement there's coastlands, you can take your time. Yep. And something I observed the other week when I was wandering through a, a mall in Wellington following my my daughter, there were no seats in the Wellington one, or was that Valley actually, but in coastlands they've got seats dotted all over yes. the place. I love going into a shop where there's a seat for the <laughs> husband. Oh, indeed. <laughs> I'm quite happy to sit and watch. Anyway, um, Coastlands is all dressed up for Christmas and uh, the retailers are really turning it on this year. I, th- I think you can just about say the recession starts in January. <laughs> Indeed, yes. And there was a long discussion on that, yes. There we are. I, yeah, I'm a bit of a softie for Christmas, I really am. And uh, I was in the main sort of atrium uh, at Coastlands and there was a wee girl who was pestering her mum to do something with the, the display with the trees and things. And the mum eventually relented and took the wee girl's picture, but I thought it was quite nice. So. It is. It's cute, isn't yeah. it? And further down, uh, heading towards the car park, there's a great big Lego Santa Claus. Oh, is that what he's made he's of? He's made of Lego. Right. And I just um, I just thought he was also telling me that the recession doesn't start till next year. <laughs> right. How, how big was he? Oh, he'd be... 500 mil. Oh, okay, decent size, yeah. Yeah, up there. Anyway, strolling around. I'm a bit naughty. I go into um, the bookshops and always have a look around, and uh, there was a nice um, 
I guess they, were, they weren't really Christmas cards, but they were more postcard things. And uh, I just thought that they reflected the retailer's instructions. Mm. And there was um, a well-presented lady um, with a coffee cup in hand, and she was basically saying coffee first and Christmas later. I think that's true, that's actually. true, yes. <laughs> and also in the rack there was another one, um, and this, this girl was pondering a sign, like a traffic sign, and it said one way was wine and the other way was chocolate. And she really was in a bit of a dilemma on what to do best for Christmas, wine or chocolate. It shouldn't be a a, a, a decision. It should be uh, both. both. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> in in right quantities, of course. Oh, you can't <clears> do you, no excesses at Christmas, please. When I was in heart rehabilitation some years ago, and it came to Christmas time, and the nurse who was in charge of us said, "Right, it's now Christmas. For the next two weeks, you can eat and drink everything you want." But she said on January the 1st, you're going back on your diets. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose she might have run you over some scales and that you could, uh, you know. Yes, there there was a a compulsory way in, but um, but, but it was nice though, you know, Mm. enjoy yourself. Well, there's a little bit more of a a meteor, a meteor, that's not quite the right word, uh, a beefier story here about um, uh, coming along, no, that's not right either. A future display in the Waikanae Museum. Mm. And they've gone to a lot of trouble to represent a gentleman called Air Commodore Morris Conley. And uh, Morris was an interesting chap, and he ended up being the official artist for the RNZAF. Oh, right. Okay. And uh, and he held that position for 54 years, which is quite an innings as, a, as a painter. Yes, so he recorded most of the RNZAF history in paintings, which mostly still exist. Anyway, I, I went along to the museum and was shown the display, and they're quite proud of it. There's a lot of um, postage stamp work that he did for various countries around the Pacific, and mm-hmm. they're all on display. And he did the reverse design for the $1 and $2 coins. Right. So if uh, people would like to look in their pockets and fetch out a $1 and $2 coin and look at the birds on the back, they were designed um, by Mr. Connolly. Oh, there's a good pub quiz question, isn't oh, it? Wonderful. Who, who, who designed the $1 and $2 coins yeah. for New Zealand? Right. Yeah, there you go. Keep that in mind. Mm. You can bring that on Christmas Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the museum would love to see you. They're not open Christmas days uh, or the Christmas week up till New Year's. But they are generally open between 1 and 4 in the afternoons. Mm. And that's Friday, Saturday and Sunday only. And it is a superb museum. It's lovely. Mm. Yeah, it's lovely. There's, there's a bit of, bit of something there for everybody. Yep. And it's free, but they would appreciate a koha. Absolutely. Why not? Now, a little bit more of Morris, because this brings us into the aviation part of it, I think. Mm, mm. Um, he trained as a commercial artist in Dunedin and then he enlisted in the Air Force in 1941 so the war had been underway for a couple of years he was called up and uh, he went into pilot training he was keen to be a pilot but um, he disaster struck you might say he was training in a tiger moth as they did and uh, 
he was um, doing the training part where you had to dive down from an altitude uh, at the maximum speed of the airplane. Which in a tiger moth wasn't, isn't overly wasn't, fast. wasn't overly fast, um, which most people came through okay. But this guy, Morris, he actually got very painful ears in the process because of the change in pressures. Mm. And they found out that he'd actually popped his eardrums. Right. And so there was no more flying training for this gentleman. But um, he... He was sent back to the base at Levin, which is not too far from here, mm. as, uh, for convalescence. And uh, it was just it was deemed that he wasn't going to be a pilot. So he was told to maybe uh, look at, into his artistic endeavours and see if the Air Force could make use of him. Right. He ended up um, being the artist in residence, basically, for the RNZAF. And in the wartime, um, to keep in touch with all the Air Force bits and pieces around the Pacific and uh, back to the UK, I guess, mm. they, had, they published a magazine called Contact. And a lot of the covers were illustrated by Morris. And a particular favourite of mine is um, uh, Air Force mechanics basically just wearing shorts because it was so warm, mm. and they were doing servicing on a Corsair fighter yes. in the Pacific. So that might bring back memories to some folks out there. Mm. Contact magazine. There we go. Does the Air Force still publish the magazine, or is it...? Uh, all three services have a magazine, mm. and they, you can usually get them at the RSA. Right. They'll, they'll have them all available there, and sometimes the Vista Club and Paraparan will have them as well. Okay, right. With, with a look. Mm. Keeps you up to date with what's happening in all three services. So I'm told. Mm. <laughs> mm. Now, the Waikanae Museum has also yes. got... The Lancaster um, Airborne Radio Equipment Display. Yeah, that's a nice wee display. Mm. It was um, put together by a member of the museum, uh, and it's pretty accurate. It's just a, a section of the whole of the cockpit area, but the, it has the real radio equipment in it. And that's where this poor guy sat through all the, um, the flights to Germany and back and all mm. the evasive manoeuvres and... Meanwhile, trying to keep in touch with, with everybody back at home and all the other airplanes. And fairly crude radio gear for the uh, day. Well, that's more your uh, area than mine, Graham. But uh, uh, it, was, um, it was all AM, I think. Mm. Would that be right? It came in huge advances in technology. Because literally in the 1920s, airborne radio was in its absolute infancy mm -hmm. and Really, only good for um, line of sight. Um, but by the time you get to World War Two, you had to be able to communicate from mm. Britain to Germany and back. And so the equipment just—what's uh, the word I want? Technically, just improved vastly. Mm -hmm. But it was still really early gear. All those old valves and oh, yes. yep. And that's over a twenty-year period from yeah, so inception to World War Two. I guess so. You're about yeah, twenty years. Yeah. Well, when the first <clears throat> Spitfires flew, they really had quite inadequate radios. Um, the Battle of Britain was hampered by the quality of of the radio links. So, right. so it shows you how quickly they um, got got the radio gear up to standard. Wow. Because mm. at that time they also had a, uh, had the early radar. Mm. Yes, indeed. And they could uh, they could almost detect the German aircraft taking off in France. 
and it took a while for the Germans to catch on uh, to the fact that they were being watched. Indeed, yes. Because um, they, they wondered why the the planes just suddenly appeared at the right height at the right altitude. What was it called? Home chain, wasn't the it? Home chain, yeah. Mm. It's one of the sad aspects of war that technology improves vastly. It's very hard to get your both sides of your brain around. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a small adjunct to the display as well, um, some other bits and pieces of um, radio equipment. Um, there's some nice, well-made boxes with tuning coils inside them. Mm. And then there's a smaller radio shown there, and I believe that was out of a Wellington bomber. Now, uh, Wellington bombers were used by 75 Squadron, RNZAF. They had been bought by the government, and they were due to be based in New Zealand to replace the existing equipment. But by the time the war was underway, it was decided to um, leave the bombers in the UK and send the crews. Right, M- much more obvious, uh-huh. exactly. And uh, I have a good friend uh, called Charlie uh, in, at the Men's Shed, and his dad was a 75 Squadron Wellington pilot of some mm. note. Because they were a robust aircraft, weren't they? Uh, they were, yeah, they, despite the fact they were made of aluminium and cloth. Mm. Mm. <laughs> They hung together rather well. Mr. Barnes-Wallace. Mr. Barnes-Wallace. So, yeah, um, there's lots of stories about Charlie's dad, but this isn't the time or place. But mm. let's just say he was a robust character to match the robust airframe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. And we might, uh, with permission, dive over to the wire wrapper. Indeed, indeed. Uh, I, I have the... Um, the pleasure of belonging to a group in the wire wrapper called the Wire Wrapper Flying Tigers. And this particular organisation grew out of a, an organisation called the Sport and Vintage People in the Wire Wrapper. So, and they're doing a really good job um, operating tiger moths on a commercial basis, which is a pretty hard thing to do, to mm. be honest. And they operate under a Part 115 CAA rule. Which is about... It's about... Um, uh, it's commercial flying but in um, non-commercial aircraft if you like. Right, yeah, vintage it's aircraft. A sport, yeah. a sport sort of mm. flying. And, uh, and their, their manual is uh, or states that they are part of the Warbirds overall part 115. Oh, okay, yeah. So they're yep. like, a, like an outstation. Mm. However, they usually have three tiger moths online, which is a good trick in itself. <laughs> are they hard to maintain? Uh, you know, parts, equipment, repairs. All of the above. Yeah. People that know what they're doing with them. Mm. So uh, the skills of doping canvas uh, and that are still... It's... I'm lost for words. It's <laughs> unusual, but uh, they, those skills aren't taught anymore. Mm. And so the people that can you know, do all this sort of work... They really have to be looked after. Yes, indeed. Otherwise, the whole technology will disappear. Mm. So we might be the last uh, repository <laughs> of these schools. However, there's um, a really nice cafe there called the Kitty Hawk Cafe. And it's uh, run by a very nice lady called Angela. And it's been... The whole cafe part of the, the building it's in has been tidied up and made into a very aviation-friendly theme. Right. Area, and the food is lovely, and uh, it's now open on the weekends this time of year. 
and there was an unexpected side, a side effect of this cafe there. It's been there for a while, but with the increase in uh, private housing around the airfield, it suddenly turned into the cafe for the local area. Oh, I like it. Isn't that nice? It's lovely. Yes, so that gives a good income to keep... Huh? keep because yes. it was just focused on the airfield people mm, for quite mm. a long time, and it wasn't a huge community. But the word is spreading. Excellent. And uh, they're really looking forward to having a good um, good season this year. Good. The, the trick with flying aircraft like Tiger Moths, you need a whole lot of ducks in a row. You need the customer. Yes. You need the airplane. You need it to be serviceable. You need the ground crew. Yes. You need the pilot. And, and just getting all those things together is quite a trick. And then to get the right weather and on the, weather. the right... And yeah. then always the weather. <laughs> yeah. Because you're sitting out in the open in a tiger moth. I'd love to go for a ride in one yeah, one day. Me too. I'll get the jacket on and the goggles and the Indeed. And uh, I have lots of lovely memories of my time uh, when I lived in Carterton and it was quite close to Sport and Vintage then. And I used to go on the working bees and help move the aircraft around and cleaning and you know the small things you used to do. And it was a great leveller because some of the people I was within this association with were actually workmates. And right. one, one was my manager. But all that went to one side when we were volunteering there. It was a, right. a lovely leveller uh, and, and people with a, a common interest. So. Mm. And one of the gentlemen uh, shown in the pictures here has actually been a guest on my show. Oh, right. Mr. John Lanham. Yes, yes I remember guy. John, yes. Yep. Mm. Brilliant pilot, lovely guy. So if someone's just heard what what we're chatting about, how do they get hold of um, and 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 arrange oh. a flight? Is it all done via oh. the website and phone call and? Yes, uh, wire wrapper flying tigers. Um, I didn't think to put a phone number down, but it's easy to find. I guess if you just just, just go just, to Google, uh, just Google them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, man, it's all there. So it would be a great Christmas birthday present sort of thing, I, wouldn't it? I believe they do that. Yes. <laughs> yes. So there we are. Now what else can we talk about for Christmas? Well, well you've got a wee bit of Scottish humour. Well, I have, but I might, I might keep that for a bit later. Okay. A bit later. So um, my, my, uh, my dear lady and I uh, are busy organising a batch, which has been in her family for quite a while. And we're hoping to um, have it uh, on a, with an organisation called Batch Care. Mm. And it has been a very interesting journey bringing it up to the, the kind of expected level of, uh, you know, of niceness. Mm. And uh, I've been enjoying doing that. And for various reasons, we call it the, the, the Blue Diamond Batch. <laughs> <laughs> are those reasons, are reasons shareable or are they...? Well, the, uh, the diamond part... Was uh, I, I tried to make a nice way of joining pieces of wood together that looked like it wasn't just a, a butt joint, so I'd made a diamond shape. Mm -hmm. And we had some spare blue paint. Right, okay. <laughs> Works for me. Yeah. Works for you. Uh -huh. um, I don't know. What else would you like to talk about? We've got five minutes off our sleeve, I think. Well, what are you planning to do next year next in year. terms of your programme? Got any guests lined up? Any themes? Uh, I've been giving that a lot of thought. Hmm. <laughs> I used to write very wordy scripts for the programme. Hmm. And then I found that uh, over time I was sort of getting lost in the words. 
So the format of um, of my guides, if you like, will be more pictorial. Right. Because I'm quite a visual person. Mm. And I can look at a picture and talk about it all day if you want, but I can look at a page of words and struggle. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so that's one, one avenue. Um, fingers crossed later in the year, we're hoping to travel to Europe because both Alison and I have sons in Europe. Mm. Uh, one boy's up in Sweden with a very nice partner called Anna, and my son Mark uh, is in Stuttgart in Germany with, uh, with my granddaughter Leela and her mum, Ellie. And fingers crossed, we've mm. got to go there. We're planning on maybe not flying while we're there, but going by train. Excellent. So we're looking forward to that. Yes. I think we're on the right track. Oh, I, I do indeed. Because <laughs> planes are convenient to get big distances mm. and to to um, get you from here to there. A train is a journey. It's an adventure. Yes. You sit back and watch the countryside roll past. And, yep. and you generally get on the train in the city. Yes. You don't have to go X number of kilometres out and about to get to the airport. <laughs> well, I guess... In places like Europe where it's quite crowded, train between cities might be equally as fast as flying yeah. by the time you get to the airport, book yeah. your bags, wait in the queue, etc. There was a rule of thumb from my airline days. Uh, trains are quicker under a 1,000 K. Right. So you can think about that one. Over a 1,000 K, it's best to go by plane. Mm. Well, for, especially for a bunch you, of reasons. Yes. Sometimes because there's a big puddle of water in front of you. <laughs> Often. Uh, now, the, my, my son in Germany tells me that I can get on a train, and I think there's three levels of train in Germany, the different colours, and I believe I have to get on a white train. <laughs> and it will take us to the station in Gothenburg, Sweden, and where, uh, where Brendan lives, because it goes all the way up through Germany, up through Denmark, mm cross a great big bridge into Sweden. And so we're kind of looking forward to that. Good. Even if we take stop-offs on the way, just hop off the train. And, and take lots of photos so when you come back, we oh. can talk about them. <laughs> I'm a very visual person. Mm. So that's in the future. Good. Um, I've already... I, I, I publish a newsletter once a month, and I've already got the, the titles organised for next year, mm -hmm. from January through to December. So I'm keeping that under my hat, really. But um, I'm trying to look at more local history. Yes. Uh, and I'm looking at um, interesting people stories to do with aviation. So that's the kind of theme mm. that I'm looking at. Good. Seeing as you asked. Yes. <laughs> so if someone is sitting out there listening and they have got an interesting aviation story, if oh. they get hold of you here via Coast Access Radio, Wonderful. you can have a chat to them. I certainly could. Mm. They, they might even end up being a guest. Indeed. <laughs> now, I, I know this started to happen, but I don't know whether it was completed or it's been away for a while. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get a chance to talk to the guy Fox from Manukau about I, building propellers? I have been to see Mr Fox. Yes, and I believe his daughter does the radio, sh uh, the um, the traffic show here. She does, yes. Uh -huh. So, and he's um, he's he's due a visit. Good. Mm -hmm. Take uh, a a recorder out, and record the conversation, and build it a a radio program around it. I'll just memorise it. <laughs> <laughs> I've met him. No, great uh, guy, really good guy. One one uh, one half of his shed is completely 
uh, turned over to pro- producing propellers, mm. and the other half of the shed is full of Norton motorcycles. I didn't know that. Well, there you go. Ooh. And some of them even have pedals, so you pedal them to start them. Yes. <laughs> He's an amazing character. And I, one of my very first bits of aircraft memorabilia I, I got was a Tiger Moth propeller. And I must take it and see if you can age it for me. Yes. Because some of them have got date stamps, some don't. So that's I've got an excuse to go and see him. So hmm. anyway, right, time for our wee bit of Scottish humour to end the year. A wee bit of a joke. I hope this doesn't offend anybody. Um, it involves um, a conversation that was heard at, a, at St Andrews Golf Club in North East Scotland, one of the original golf clubs, I believe. Anywho, Archie. An extremely wealthy 65-year-old arrives at St Andrew's Golf Club with a beautiful 24-year-old blonde lass on his arm. His buddies at the club are all aghast, as they would be. They corner him in the bar and ask, Archie, how did you get a trophy girlfriend? Girlfriend, explains Archie, she's my wife. His friends are now in shock but continue to ask. So how do you persuade her to marry you? Archie replies, Oh, I lied about my age. His friends respond, What do you mean? Did you tell her you were only 50? No. Archie smiles and says, I told her I was 81. <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> In all that happy note, we come to the end of Aviation Past and Present for this year and it's been hosted by John Skeen throughout the year and assisted who, what, with myself, Graham, and sometimes Todd. Todd. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we look forward to next year, John. So I'd just like to wish everybody uh, all the best for Christmas and a Happy New Year 2023 and uh, I'm John, your Scottish Kiwi at Aviation Past and Present. This program is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.